Hi, I'm Noah Brown, host, producer, and editor of Offside Sports. We recorded this week's episode on Tuesday, April 21st, two days before the start of the NFL Draft. As such, our crew provided some pre-draft predictions and analysis. But as you can tell, this episode has come out after the start of the draft due to several circumstances we'd rather not bore you with. To avoid redundancy and out-of-date information, I've cut that segment from this week's episode. Sorry about that, but don't worry, we'll have plenty of post-draft analysis on next week's episode. Thank you for understanding, and enjoy the podcast. Hey everyone, and thanks for joining us here on Offside Sports on the Air. I'm your host, Noah Brown. I'm here with my friends, Nick Brown, Christian Brown, Nick Ponchi, and Alex Ponchi. And gentlemen, we've got a good show coming at you here today. We've got some breaking news that came down just today on the 21st. Uh, Rob Gronkowski came out of retirement and has been traded to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Did you all see this coming? Uh, and obviously, you know, Brady to Gronk is a dangerous combination. We saw that for, what, almost 10 years in New England. How much could that benefit the Buccaneers? Well, what this what this really is is that it's a case of the rich getting richer uh, in Tampa Bay because we, a lot of people are already talking about how Tampa Bay's offense was going to be one of the best in the NFL this year because of the fact that Tom Brady was going to a team that had two stud wide receivers in Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, and then had two good tight ends in OJ Howard and uh, Cameron Braid, both of which have major size for tight ends and have decent pass catching ability, but are also good blockers too. And then, uh, so now not only do you have those weapons, but then you also add Tom Brady's go-to weapon for 10 years in New England with Rob and Rob Gronkowski, who again is the most prolific tight end in the red zone in NFL history and also is a tremendous run blocker and pass blocker as well um I I think obviously his his previous relationship with Tom Brady from the time in New England certainly helped make this a, a reality and come to fruition so quickly um and I think you know Tom and Tom and Rob Gronkowski are gonna hit it off just like just like they were in New England um it the only thing I'm I'm a little worried about and 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 kind of curious to see how it works out is that uh Rob Gronkowski hasn't played in the NFL in two years um and you know we've seen him on TV we've seen him doing commercials we've seen him making public appearances and he looks still to be in great physical condition but there's all but there's a big difference between being in great physical condition for regular uh retired life and being in NFL game ready shape and so obviously with with the with the situation around the world right now with the coronavirus a lot of normal training techniques and facilities are uh off limits uh to players and coaches so uh, Ron Gronkowski will have to do a lot of uh, a lot of self uh, exercise and self uh, training in order to get ready for another NFL season. But uh, I have no doubt that if he if he's even you know seventy to eighty percent of the Gronk that he was in New England, um, they will have found yet another weapon for Tom Brady to play with down in Tampa Bay for this coming season. Well, that's an interesting point that you bring up there too. I was listening to a podcast today uh, and it was talking about uh, the NHL and them being uh, suspended and players needing to get ready to get back into shape. Uh, but 
someone brought up a similar point to you did that there's a difference between being in playing shape and playing condition and you see that a lot of players you know even after they retire they keep up their their physique they keep and Rob Gronkowski is certainly no exception I mean he still looks just as as muscly as he did the day that he retired and so all the work that he's going to have to do is to to get into playing condition rather than playing shape. It's not like he let himself go. So I think that transition there is going to be a little bit easier than you might think. And it could take him, you know, maybe four, six, eight weeks, who knows. But I think in one training camp, I think once you get back up to speed, get through that conditioning program, I think he'll be the same Gronk that we saw or near the same Gronk that we saw two years ago in New England. Yeah, and um, it just this, I, I have no way of verifying this. Uh, Ian Rappaport tweeted about five hours ago uh, that Gronk apparently, according to some sources, has been putting on weight in preparation for a potential return to football. Um, so he's someone who I guess it's plausible that he's been wanting this and been looking forward to this. I don't know if it's something that you know he and Brady could have potentially talked about during the offseason. Um, just something that while they were looking at you know, his contract ending, this is something that he might have been looking out for. It's hard to say, or maybe it's just he started gaining quarantine weight and realized he might as well just play next year. Yeah, who knows? Um, I did steal that joke from Twitter, but the best thing about the thing that I'm most looking forward to uh, seeing from Twitter on this is um, lonely Julian Edelman memes. Uh, if you just <laughs> go to Twitter and look up Julian Edelman's name right now, there's a lot of sad crying, just staring off while other people are running and playing. It's it's worth a look. That's great. I have seen a couple of those. Those are awesome. Yeah. Uh, but so the NFC South is quickly becoming a stacked division. Obviously, the Saints with Drew Brees are always in contention. Uh, the Panthers are looking to, to retool their offense with the acquisition of Teddy Bridgewater. They look like they could do really well. And the Buccaneers now are quickly becoming a powerhouse to be reckoned with with the signing of Tom Brady, the signing of Gronkowski, the returning of all of those offensive weapons that Christian mentioned. Are they the favorites to win the NFC South this year? They have to be because I think you know, as we saw last year with the Saints, I mean, the Saints have been the, aside from the one year that uh, the Falcons went to the Super Bowl and the one year that the Panthers went to the Super Bowl, I mean, really, the Saints have been the most consistent uh, team in that division. Uh, they haven't really suffered a whole lot of ups and downs. They've had a lot of regular season success. Um, and, and really, they, they are, with Drew Brees being on their quarterback, they always have a chance to do well in the regular season and the playoffs because Drew Brees is one of the very best quarterbacks to ever play the position. And so now, um, you know, th that was always an advantage for the Saints because they had the best quarterback in the division. Well, now, um, they that probably isn't the case. Uh, with Tom Brady now re residing in the division with all the weapons that, they ha that he has at his disposal... The Saints probably the the Saints are probably the second best team in the division now. I mean, you look at you look at what the Bucks have on offense. Obviously, it'll take some time to get to gel together, and it won't. It may not be uh, dominant right away at the beginning. Um, but there's no doubt in my mind that you know Tom Brady obviously showed last year that he still had some talent left to play with, and you know, was was struggling with a group of receivers that just didn't have a lot of experience and didn't have nearly as much talent as the guys he's playing with now in Tampa Bay. And so I, I think that you have to look at this at the Buccaneers at the very least as co-favorites with the Saints to be the division winner. But 
it, most optimistically, you probably look at them as the division favorites. And because you're adding the greatest quarterback of all time, you're adding his favorite target from, from his heydays in New England, um, and, and adding that to an already impressive collection of wide receivers and a decent running back in Ronald Jones. I mean, they really have few holes now on their offense. And if everything goes right and if they stay healthy, there's no doubt in my mind that they're going to be uh, in it to the bitter end to win a division spot and maybe even a top spot, a top seed in the NFC playoff picture. Yeah, I have a feeling the Tampa Bay Patriots are going to be a franchise team. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My only concern with that is, Christian, as you mentioned, the the Saints have been a well-rounded team pretty much ever since they won their Super Bowl back in 2010. And as long as they have Drew Brees, Drew Brees I still think is one of the top five quarterbacks in the league right now. He has shown no signs of slowing down even as he moves beyond the age of 40. Um, and you could you could argue the same thing for Brady as well. I think the difference maker here is the defense. The New Orleans Saints had a top 10 total defense last year, and they were the 12th rated scoring uh, scoring defense in the league. So they allowed the 10th fewest yards and the 12th fewest points. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers were in the bottom of the league in total points allowed. They were the fourth worst. They allowed 449 points, only more than the Dolphins, the Panthers, and the Giants. And they were a little bit better in total yards, but for as, as potent as that Tampa Bay offense could be, I think their defense could hold them back a little bit here. And so that's why I like what you said about them being co-favorites. I think it could be a battle. And you could see either team winning, but I think I have to give the Saints the edge here just because of how well-rounded their team is. They really don't have any holes on either side of the roster. Sure, there are places they can improve, but overall, I think the Saints are just the more well-rounded, the more balanced team. And with Drew Brees as their quarterback, I'm sorry, I'm just, I highly doubt there's anybody I would bet against when playing Drew Brees. Well, yeah, and that's something that I think uh, is pretty easy uh to forget about i think amid the excitement of adding all this offensive talent um or i guess adding tom brady to the plethora of offensive talent that the buccaneers had was that um for this last run of dominance in new england it's not like they had uh slouches really throughout tom brady's um tenure in new england they never had a slouchy defense like Bill Belichick obviously is one of the greatest defensive minds uh, to ever coach. And they have had some really nasty defenses in new England, um, including last year's uh, one of the best in the league. Um, And so having with Brady style of play uh, being so focused on protecting the ball and especially in the last few years as his arm strength, um, you know, has has started to decline is not what it used to be really, um, Taking the short game options, being methodical down the field, not committing turnovers is a good way to win ball games, especially when you have a good defense. Uh, the question is now, how much will these like added offensive talent um, uh, be able to help Brady kind of throw down the field more at this point in his career? And can this offense actually stand up in shootouts against some of the best, uh, the Saints being one of them? Drew Brees has proven that this offense can still be very potent down the field uh, with him at the quarterback position. And if you're, you know, if you have Super Bowl aspirations, you're probably going to match up against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs again. So can you really go toe-to-toe with some of the best offenses now with Brady as your quarterback, uh, we'll see. And he's going to have to with that defense in Tampa. 
whether or not he'll be able to hold up in shootouts, I think we'll see that at least twice a year. Those uh, Buccaneers-Saints games are sure to be some of the best football we've seen in quite some time. Brady versus Breeze never disappoints. We're going to shift gears here now over to baseball. We've got some topics that we want to talk about here. Uh, some more breaking news, the other uh, topic that I was talking about at the beginning of the show. Uh, the minor league baseball system is there, – there have been reports going out that the minor league baseball system is – are going to agree to a tremendous decrease in the number of teams that they sponsor. So currently there are 160 major or minor league baseball teams in their system. Uh, MLB has been wanting them to cut down to about 120 for about half a year now. And uh, minor league baseball has been very adamant about not doing that. But with all of the shutdowns going on, all of the financial burdens that have been placed because of COVID-19, they seem to be in a position where they're going to agree to that. And so we could see a reduction of about 25%. So losing a quarter of all minor league baseball teams, there would be a couple of additions as well. Um, I was reading somewhere that the St. Paul saints and another independent league baseball team could be added as minor league affiliates, but overall you'd see a dr drastic decrease in the number of teams. So there really isn't a question here. Just this is all new came down. We, we read the report this morning. Uh, what are y'all thoughts on this? Well, I think it's a it's it's a troubling development um, if you're a city or a franchise that has been uh, a minor league affiliate for quite some time and uh, have been a source of entertainment um, for fan for baseball fans in smaller cities that don't have a chance at having major league baseball. Um, it's also some of these teams that might get cut have been. Um, around for quite some time, for as long as the minor league baseball season has, uh, baseball system has been around, and I think nobody wants to have, nobody wants it to be their team that gets cut, and nobody wants to see their favorite local minor league team get shuttered. Um, but the reality is, is that minor league baseball is also a very, very tough business to be in. A lot of the teams that are uh, looking at getting cut. Are looking at getting cut because they simply cannot sustain themselves financially even with the support of Major League Baseball affiliations and so there are a lot of uh, teams especially on the lower end of the minors like in Class A and Class AA um, that really uh, can't afford to provide great uh, amenities for their players and can't have uh, as many great fan experiences as other as other franchises in their same class because of the economics of minor league baseball and how little money there is in there with no uh, broadcasting revenue and very limited advertising revenue and so it, it makes economic sense i think for baseball to try and limit the number of affiliations they have so they can streamline their player development systems more um it also makes sense uh for baseball to not uh, major league baseball to not be investing in franchises that ha have little uh economic clout on their own um but at the same time, it is uh, baseball is probably this a sp the sport that's most steeped in tradition in this country, and the fact that a lot of these teams have been around for decades and decades and have seen many of the greatest players in baseball come through their ballparks on their way up to becoming major league stars. It, there is going to be a lot of sadness that goes around getting cut, and and there are going to be plenty of cities that are used to having minor league baseball every summer that will now no longer have baseball and their fans are going to have to find other places to go to and other, and other places to try and watch or, or, or catch some, some photos of these games um, and, and try and get their baseball fix. And I think what will be interesting to see is that obviously we won't, we won't be able to stop 
any of these teams from getting shuttered that are looking at being closed. But I, I, I will, I am fascinated to w- keep watching this story and see what base, what Major League Baseball and the Minor League Baseball right. organizations do to maybe help, um, help uh, find uh, other outlets for fans to get their baseball fix who are losing their teams. Yeah, and this is a bit of a cynical take on this, but um, does Vince McMahon feel like payrolling another? highly unsuccessful alternative sports league you know, the xlb i don't know it's it's unfortunate just because of all the the nostalgia that christian mentioned there's a lot of fond memories going to local um you know minor league games where the stakes are much lower um but and and my understanding of baseball's financial system may be different um so i i think just the fact that Unlike, um, you know, the NFL and other major sporting um, leagues, each franchise has their own, uh, you know, it's it's very old school. It's very whatever your brand, whatever your uh, money can make. Uh, that's not, you know, redistributed redist- all throughout the league to help the, um, the smaller market teams who don't have that same name recognition, who don't bring in that same kind of value. It's if you can make the money and you can bring in the star power, you're going to, you know, you, you deserve to have the best, the best players basically. Um, And so not, I'm not sure how this will access, uh, how this will affect access for um, lower rung teams, uh, you know, to develop for their own player development. I'm not, I haven't really read into this story. Uh, but I guess that's sort of my initial thought is that the ones with the most resources likely will end up most okay out of this change. Uh, but again, that's a very limited understanding of how um, how the prospect system works. So that's just my, my initial thoughts on it. I was more or less thinking along the same lines as you there, Alex. Like I, I imagine that the New York Yankees with a much larger you know, when they're looking for the next generation of who's going to be filling in that missing spot on the team, they're going to be, uh, you know, they're going to be more, much more able, readily able to shop around as opposed to look to their farm system. And uh, yeah, if, if I'm, I'm it, depending which clubs are shut down and how the league as a whole, like the minor leagues as a whole will be effective because those players, like the players won't, they'll, they'll still be, I, they'll either I won't have a job or they will need to consolidate. Um, so that leaves a lot of people not playing baseball anymore or just looking to do it elsewhere. So it's going to be a big shakeup. But I mean, the same is true for all of baseball right now. We're still waiting to see how all the chips are going to fall in regards to the MLB itself. So I don't know. Just going to wait for the 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 die to cast. Yeah, I hate to put you on the spot here, Christian, but most likely this is going to be some of the lower level teams, right? So most likely it'll be mostly single A and double A teams that lose it. We won't see a whole lot of triple A teams fold, correct? If I had to, t- if I had to take a guess, that would that would be where I would go with it. Um, simply because of all the minor league teams, the triple A teams do have the biggest uh, following and the most resources. So there are plenty of triple A teams that are either. Fr- uh, 
that are either owned by the major league teams themselves, such as the Cardinals owning their AAA affiliate in Memphis, um, but also uh, AAA teams because of their size and because of uh, the fact that they can actually get a lot of uh, amateur, a lot of professional players who can't make the big leagues sign with them um, in hopes of getting major league contracts in the future. They actually have a, a much steadier talent pipeline to access on a regular basis than the lower rung teams do, and they can actually afford to pay more as well. So uh, I think AAA baseball will see very little cuts. There might be uh, a few teams that shift around and, and, and maybe get a new AAA affiliate, but I think for the most part, those will remain intact. It really is going to be the mainly uh, high A and double A affiliates because a lot of the low A teams in Gulf Coast and, uh, and Arizona uh, leagues are developmental leagues that are used by uh used by teams to place their newly acquired prospects either via the draft or the international free agent signing period. And so I think those will also most likely be safe, um, be just being very uh, elementary and instructional development leagues. So I, I really do think that a lot of these cuts are going to be coming from the rungs of, of single A and double A baseball. Um, you know, I'm hoping that some of the teams that, you know, we, we've, uh, and I, I have not, been to any minor league baseball games but i know that uh nick brown is a fan of the lansing lug nuts you know it would be sad to see if the lansing lug nuts got cut um uh it would be sad to see you know a team like the springfield cardinals or the uh peoria uh cardinal the peoria chiefs uh the cardinals affiliates um you know it, it would be more of an inconvenience for the major league baseball teams they would just have to find a new affiliate to place those players they won't the major league players themselves and the major league teams won't be affected a whole lot by this change um but it is more about the regional and local effect of of those cities uh, and areas and those fans losing their teams um, and having to find a new out, a new outlet for their baseball because you know a, as some of the as Nick Barrett has mentioned a couple of times on this show um, the environment at, at minor league ballparks um, just an example what he's talked about with the Lansing lug nuts is something that you really can't find um, in a lot of bigger stadiums and and, uh, and especially at the major league level it's just a more of a smaller cozier feel uh, with some antics and shenanigans in the stands that you really don't see it at major league ballparks and so i feel like those kind of things are going to be missed um by the cities and fans that lose their teams you know how many mascot outfits will go unfilled of <laughs> obscure characters <laughs> it's tragic I, I i've never planned on catching a palm beach cardinals game uh but i'd like to know the options still on the table so fingers crossed <laughs> and so i was driving through springfield yesterday and uh went by the Springfield Cardinal Stadium and I was planning on going to a game last year just didn't get around to it and so I I can't say I'm a, a huge fan or know any of the players but yeah it would be sad to to see that option go I mean just I mean, going to a ball game as Nick Brown has mentioned several times on this show I mean there's just something pure it's like a, a a distilled version of the game when you go to a minor league stadium and so losing that wherever you go and just having communities lose their access to baseball, lose their easy access to baseball is always a sad thing. And so, yes, it's financially prudent. It seems to be a, a very financially motivated decision for minor league baseball, but it is a sad time. And particularly because, you know, this is just another casualty from, from COVID-19. Uh, and so if, if this outbreak hadn't happened, we probably wouldn't be in the situation or we would be in a very different situation where MILB could still negotiate with the major leagues uh, and see if they could reduce the number of teams that had to get cut. But unfortunately, that's the, this is the circumstance that we're in and we could see a, a huge realignment coming up in the very near future. 
Well, and I think it's important to remember that we still don't know the full lasting impact of where we are in this time. You know, it's uh, it's unfortunate, but it, this could end up being the best case scenario for what Major League Baseball looks like going forward. Um, it just, I guess, something to keep in mind uh, when we're looking at how this develops over the next few months. All right, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we still can't go to ballparks, but that doesn't mean we can't talk about them. We've got another Offside Top 5 coming up right after this. Offside Sports has long partnered with the Q4 podcast, and neither are large enough for a partnership to really mean anything, but now it's official. If you've ever made it to the end of an episode of Offside and thought, man, I could really go for some more sports content right about now, The Q4 podcast is the quick fix that won't fully fill you up, but hey, it's better than nothing, right? Q4 is not a sports show. It's a sports-adjacent comedy hour at its best, and an hour of rants, tangents, and nonsense at its worst. Either way, it's one heck of a good time. Join hosts TJ Bierenbaum, Anthony Mahatty, and Noah Brown most weeks as they try to figure out what exactly their show is and who it's for. To check out Q4 Podcast or to listen to old episodes of Offside Sports, visit OffsideSportsOTA.com. And welcome back to Offside Sports on the Air. I'm joined this week by Nick Brown, Christian Brown, Nick Ponchi, and Alex Ponchi. And we've got another Offside Sports Top 5 for you. As I mentioned right before the break, we still can't go to the ballpark. But it doesn't mean we can't stop thinking about them. And so this week's top five, the top five current major league stadiums in MLB. Really, if you look back at the history of Major League Baseball, there was a period of about the, what, 50 or 60 years where all ballparks had the same dimensions, or most ballparks had the same dimensions. And it was just kind of boring. But really in the last 30 years, you've seen a renaissance of different designs, different outdoor stadiums, the the look, the atmosphere. And so it's still the same game, but just depending on where you go, it could be Pittsburgh or Chicago or St. Louis or Los Angeles or New York. No matter where you go, you're going to see a unique ballpark that reflects the history and the culture of that city. And so as someone who has only been to three major league ballparks in his lifetime. I've always enjoyed seeing what other ballparks have to offer and would love to go and visit some of those. So I figured this would be a good time to talk about those ballparks and what our top five ballparks in major league baseball are. So we'll go ahead and dive right in. Uh, Alex Ponchi, we'll go ahead and start with you. Okay, um, I will be starting mine um, five to one, uh, lowest to highest, but I actually would like to start with a dishonorable mention. (laughs) Okay. Um, I'm going to have to throw some shade at the 2020 Marlins Park. Uh, They've updated and uh, renovated a bit of their stadium or is still in the process, but according to the article I read, they will be removing the iconic Marlins statue in uh, center left field. Uh, it'll be down for possibly the entirety of the what would be the 2020 season and will at some point in over the next you know months following uh, will be placed as a permanent fixture sort of outside the park as like a giant statue. Mm-hmm. Um, the heck. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that statue was horrifically bad. I'm so happy it is, they removed it. But it's so iconic and it's nostalgic of, you know, you're a kid and you're like, oh my gosh, there's an aquarium behind home plate. There's people swimming. And what the heck is that thing? <laughs> it's 
It's history. <laughs> okay, uh, but for my my top five list, um, for number five, um, this one I picked based on um, my experience playing um, different MLB. I think it was MLB The Show 2006 was the uh, MLB video game I had the most experience with. Uh, but this is based solely on that is uh, the Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, I I loved uh, cranking up the uh, the settings in the game to either reduce the gravity or just create a, a an incredible Hulk-sized character <laughs> who could drive out the baseball out past right field into the Ohio River. Um, that was always the dream. And there would be boats or ducks floating out there you could try to hit. Uh, but otherwise, um, you know, I was slipping through a gallery of, um, of you know, photos of the stadiums, and I saw... Um, out in left field, just sort of the upper, the upper deck, third deck out in left field. That's totally lopsided with the rest of the field that kind of slides down into this giant left center billboard that just cuts off into nothingness. And then on the right, there's just the river. It just, it just struck me. Oh yeah. I forgot entirely about this ballpark and it just, the images came rushing back to my head. So that one is going to take my number five. Uh, number four is Miller Park. Uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, I lived there for about half a year. Uh, a couple years ago, I was up in a neighborhood called Washington Heights, and I drove past Miller Park every day on my way to work. Uh, it was driving past was the first time I ever saw a stadium's roof open, uh, and that was a double take experience where I had to you know, make sure I'm focused on the road. Uh, but I did get to go attend a game there once. Um, they, you know, they've got the the sausage races, which. I don't know. I'm not sure if that holds up as a 20, like a thing that will continue into the 2020s without a redesign. Like they're cute, they're iconic, they're fun, but also maybe in 10 years everyone's going to be like, yeah, that's some pretty, pretty blatant ethic stereotyping. Let's pass. Um, it's not the worst defender in all of Major League Baseball, but you know, I could see it falling out of out of uh out of style in the years to come but anyway it's still it was still a fun park to visit i had a blast going there and it's something i will remember for quite a long time uh number three don't have much to say about this one but it is fenway park uh the green monster uh it's the perfect place to host a home run contest yes the numbers are less exciting but getting the home runs over uh the left field wall is uh just something that i loved watching as a kid um, it's one of the destination stadiums that even non-fans of the game uh, can call out by name. It's it's just Fenway. Um, number two is Wrigley Field. Um, this It has a big city and atmosphere feel, a lot like I'm used to going to games in St. Louis, but there's just a different magnitude to the history behind it. Um, I remember walking out past Ridley, uh, Wrigley with my cousin uh, who lives in Chicago, and he was just telling me all about... Um, uh, what the sort of the local traditions there and how um, the property values of all the apartment buildings that are jammed up right next to the field are incredibly high and the owners will not sell for anything because they can host, you know, private parties up on the rooftops where you can watch the game, have um, bands do impromptu shows up there and you can see from the from the stadium, you know, fans waving from the rooftops of their homes uh, right into the field. Uh, it's the oldest stadium in the National League. It's got an iconic exterior. Um, it's simply one of the best. Um, and then last, I, I'm guessing a lot of us will be putting this in our top fives, but it is Bush Stadium. Uh, you just can't beat the hometown nostalgia. And it 
it really does feel like a home away from home, even if I don't attend that many games this much, that much these days. Uh, being able to drink beer now <laughs> there is a huge plus. Uh, but it, it just being able to explore it on my own now that I'm an adult uh, and really take in the full fan experience more. I mean, obviously, when you're 12 years old, that is the best year to be watching baseball um, just because everything's <laughs> magical. But it still holds up very well as an adult. And we've got a developing skyline. We've got the arch uh, right in the back with developing apartments uh, within sight. We've got the iconic arch uh, grass pattern that was added after our, um, I think it was 2006 when we started doing that. I don't remember. No, it was the 2009 uh, All-Star game. 2009 okay uh but i do remember them going all out with the with the field design and then the arch has kind of come back and forth um as a staying asset from that and it's just been fun to watch a stadium live and breathe in your own hometown so those are my top five i took up a lot of time there someone else go you know, asking five St. Louisans what they think the best ballpark in uh, the country is, I think we're going to get a not surprising answer as our number one. Uh, but we'll go ahead. Uh, Nick Brown, we'll throw it over to you. My uh, number one is Yankee Stadium. Uh, Boo, <laughs> no. get out of here. I'm, I'm, I'm just Boo. kidding. We're going to, yeah, uh, no surprises here. My number one is going to be St. Louis. Uh, just all of the personal experiences I've had there and with the Cardinals being the hometown team and it just being objectively, um, a great ballpark. Um, you know, it, it's just an easy number one for me. Um, I have always, however, uh, while we're getting on some, uh, I guess unpopular hated teams, I've always liked, uh, the Dodgers park. It's, it's Dodger stadium, right? I believe it's just the name of that. I like the, uh, uh, there's always something again. It harkens back to I know Alex mentioned something about uh, uh, the show. I think for me it was, uh, gosh, a combination of the show and MVP baseball. Just that that open air feel of uh, of Dodger Stadium. I've always always really admired. Um, and uh, some of the others for me, I, I think uh, if I had to rank them, number three, uh, I'd probably say Comerica Park in Detroit. Um, I lived out in Lansing for grad school for a couple of years. I was able to go to uh, one Detroit Tigers game, and I was in Detroit a couple of different times. Uh, it's it's such a cool atmosphere. I I always love parks, you know, Bush Stadium included, uh, that just like right downtown that blend in so well to their uh, surroundings. And Comerica Park is just the way it's like set in to the ground downtown you can go from street level and look down onto the field it's such a such a cool um such a cool experience um yeah and uh, i guess i'm picking a lot of parks that that i've uh you know been to and have some kind of uh personal uh connection with um but i've always I, for one reason, I've always liked uh, Kauffman Stadium, and it's for like the fountains in the outfield. I think it's just a, a really cool touch, um, and again, just a great like. Uh, I would say it's almost for the same reason that I like minor league stadiums. It's it's such uh, it's a much more intimate feel, I think, than some of the other uh, ballparks out there, um, and so that's number four on my list. Definitely be Kauffman stadium um 
And I had number five. Uh, again, we're repeating another one, but there's just something about Fenway Park and the Green Monster. And I mean, for me, I've never never been there. I've been to Boston twice in my life, and it was not for a Red Sox game on either occasion. But there's just these parks with uh, just history you can feel um, there, and then having that such. Uh, you know, popular aesthetic. You've got a feature of this park that everyone knows um, and impacts the game. Uh, Fenway's definitely number five on my list. Nick Poncho, we'll throw it over to you. Okay. Much like my brother, I'm going to go in reverse order because I like building up to what we know the number one is going to be. I'm just going to go ahead and tally five points for Bush right now. (laughs) Perfect. Sounds like a plan. (laughs) Um, My number five... I uh, chose Chase Field, the ballpark of the Diamondbacks. It, uh, it's it got a very clean, like, anytime I see a footage of a game taking place there, I'm always reminded, yeah, this is this is what a good ballpark looks like. <laughs> um, they have, they have a, a swimming pool towards the, the back right by the outfield, which I'm always reminded of, ooh, if, if, if only they had something like that at Bush Stadium, that'd be amazing. Um, <laughs> But they've got it's like nice and symmetrical. They've got like the retractable like roof that comes over like the like that like covers the entire field. Like it looks like it looks like a football. It's it's like only for the Diamondbacks, but it looks like it would be for like a football stadium with that kind of design. And I've always thought that it was pretty cool, just like with the whole look of how it's set up. Like it's symmetrical. Like the diamond is facing like straight forward instead of having that curved feel like some other ballparks do. Um, so always been a fan of that one my number four i think i will give to uh wrigley field the cubs uh, i know it's been touched on before but uh it's like it's just got it's old it's classy they they've uh you know modernized it's been around since the 30s and they modernized it since then obviously but they, i like how they've kept a lot of those like some of the elements about it have just been around for a long time and been iconic like that that scoreboard having been not it's still manually done to this day and they've got those big green like ivy planted along the walls which you know like you like when you think Wrigley Field that's just something you know about it like it, it has this status outside of uh like just oh like you know that the Cubs there the Cubs play there kind of thing um, so that that's all. That's going to get me my number four for more or less recognition and status alone. Um, number three, I am actually going to give to Yankee Stadium, non non ironically, um, because <laughs> this thing is a coliseum of baseball. <laughs> this thing, uh, it has the name of the team on the outside. It cost billions of dollars to put together. And, you know, if you have a team that's won more World Series than any other in the rest of the sport, then I mean, I guess you deserve a pretty monumental ballpark. This thing is nuts. Uh, when they were constructing it, one thing I discovered recently is there was a, uh, like the newest updated version of the stadium. Uh, there was a uh, Boston Red Sox fan who was on the, t- on the construction crew and he um, he went and like he wanted to like get revenge for the curse of the Bambino. So what he did was he buried a David Ortiz jersey in like the foundation, 
of uh, Yankee Stadium, <laughs> and uh, like his coworkers ratted him out, and he had to like they had to go get it out. But his total plan was to like reverse curse the Yankees in their new stadium, <laughs> which I think is hilarious. A for effort. Oh, absolutely. That guy, he was he he knew it would, he knew it was going <laughs> to change the future of the franchise. Uh, in any case, that's my number three. Number two uh, is going to be Coffin Stadium with the Royals. Uh, I haven't been to a ton of ballparks, and I still have yet to make it for a game at Kansas City Stadium. But I have driven past it, and by God, it smacks you in the face when you're on the highway coming into town. <laughs> you look over and see, oh, Royals, right. They have they have the big pillars. They have the big, big logo. It's one of the most, for me at least, one of the most like recognizable designs of a ballpark and playing those, those old games. I, I just very, very, when you presented this topic to us, this one inst- immediately jumped to my mind as, yep, that's going in the top five somewhere. Uh, big fan, and I definitely want to get there for a game sooner rather than later. Um, and number one, you know it, you guessed it, Bush Stadium. That's all for me. <laughs> <laughs> Christian, we'll throw it over to you. Okay, so I, I will also go in reverse order for this segment. So my number five... Um, before I start, I my criteria for this is kind of a blend of several different things. Obviously, as, as being a baseball fan, uh, the, the game itself and the experience at being at the ballpark obviously factors into my experiences here. Um, also, just I, I factor in kind of the, the uniqueness of the ballpark. I factor in the, the setting and the environment that it's in, just kind of all different things. Um, and, and so I it, it's kind of like there's not – there may not be – a real flow to the list it may not make a lot of cohesive sense in terms of one linear line of thinking for why they're on the list but i don't give a care because this is my list and i was told to pick the five best ballparks so this is how we're gonna go okay so now that that's out of the way number five uh, we're gonna go with the pittsburgh pirates ballpark pnc park in pittsburgh um the park itself um, is pretty cookie cutter. Um, not a whole lot unique there. What really gives PNC Park uh, a huge nod, though, is the absolutely stunning view of the Pittsburgh skyline along the river um, that 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 where, where PNC Park sits. Um, it is one of the most gorgeous settings to watch a baseball game in the entire league. Um, I could. Uh, I, I wish I at some point in my life we'll be able to make it out to a game there just because I want to be able to take in the magnificent beauty of the set of the setting especially at nighttime there are a few uh, ballparks that kind of give you that kind of grand uh, background to watch a game than the than the ballpark in Pittsburgh so that's my number five uh, number four is gonna be Miller Park in Milwaukee um, I went to Miller Park for the first time on April 15th of last season uh, on Jackie Robinson Day to watch the Cardinals play the Brewers um, and I I was unsure about how I was going to like my experience there um, I had seen a, a lot of Miller Park on TV but had never seen up close in person and from the moment I set foot into my seat which was just below the broadcast booths on the second level above the the field level um, 
I quickly realized that it is one of my favorite places to watch a baseball game. Um, the lighting and the uh, d- uh, dark colors of the uh, stadium and the padding around the outfield wall and the scoreboard make it a perfect place to watch a baseball game because you can see the ball so clearly. It is, it is the only ball. It is one of the only ballparks where I've been able to clearly see the baseball uh, in all aspects uh, of it being in play. So from the time it's uh, thrown by the pitcher to when it's batted uh, by a hitter, um, I've seen. Uh, I was able to track all the home runs that were hit in the game because unfortunately that was the 10-7 loss that the Cardinals suffered because Christian Yelich had his three home run uh, seven RBI day um, hmm. but so I saw a lot of home runs fly that day but man it was awesome to watch um, and I, I did love every aspect of my trip to Milwaukee uh, to Miller Park so no, that's my number four number three uh, is a ballpark I have not been to uh, Oracle Park in San Francisco um, there's something unique about being right on the bay where you can look into San Francisco Bay while sitting in your seat um, and also just the the awesomeness of watching a lot of left-handed power pull hitters uh, yank balls into McCovey Cove they have a splash tracker uh, sponsored by Levi's on their right field wall that uh, tracks how many splash hits um, have hit into McCovey Cove and as of last count I believe they're in the mid 70s like around 74 75 splash hits um, they don't happen too often but when they do it is something to watch um, it just I, I the Giants are one of my favorite teams to watch when I'm not watching Cardinals broadcast a lot because of their broadcast team but also I love watching their their games at their home ballpark because it's so good also I I want to get out there as quickly as possible if I can because I've heard that there's a little food stand beneath the left field bleachers that sells the world's best garlic fries and that sounds super good so I definitely want to try and get me some of those good garlic fries um <laughs> Number two is going to be Wrigley Field in Chicago. Um, as much as I dislike the Cubs uh, being the arch rival of, of my uh, hometown St. Louis Cardinals, Wrigley Field is one of the coolest places to watch a baseball game. The environment um, being in the second oldest ballpark in baseball, um, seeing a ballpark where that has some quirks and features that would never be implemented uh, in in baseball today if they were building a new park. Uh, the ivy on the outfield wall, um, the stands on the rooftops in Wrigleyville, um, just the, the cool atmosphere of being in the middle of inner city Chicago, uh, being able to watch the, a, a Cubs game, um, hopefully with the Cardinals beat, beating them up, but you know, you can't have it all sometimes. Um, but the the history, the coolness, and also with the wind blowing out of Wrigley, you can see some of the biggest offensive explosions that you'll ever see. Um, some of the best Cardinals offensive games I've ever seen have been at Wrigley, where the wind's blowing out and any ball hit into hit into right field um, just flies out, um, or blowing the other way into left, and, and a lot of right-handed pull hitters can yank the ball out. Um, I, I love watching those because you know when when the broadcasters say, "Oh, this is a typical Wrigley game," that it's gonna be a wind blowing out, uh, it's gonna be an offensive slugfest, uh, and those are awesome games to watch. And then, of course, number one, uh, no surprise here, is Busch Stadium. Uh, it's no surprise that uh, I've been to Busch Stadium many, many, many times uh, to watch my uh, diehard hometown favorite St. Louis Cardinals. Um, just 
everything about Bush Stadium is so awesome to me. Um, the atmosphere, uh, the fans are always there. They always have a packed house. There's rarely an empty crowd uh, when the Cardinals are playing at Bush. Um, the the atmosphere of just being in a place where people are so passionate about their baseball, um, a place that you know you have great views of the arch and the downtown skyline, um, you have all the buzz around the ballpark, uh, great food, um, especially you know with my brothers and I and my, and my grandpa making a yearly tradition the last several years of going to one of the all-inclusive clubs that they have there. So getting unlimited food while also getting to watch from some pretty good seats, um, just every thing about Bush Stadium, all the history, the retired numbers, the arch etched into the grass, um, just just everything. It's so awesome to be at the ballpark every year, and I'm and I'm sad that I likely will not be able to make my yearly pilgrimage to Bush Stadium this year. But um, I will have to uh, I'll have to make that up by going several more times the next several years. But um, yeah, there's no doubt in my mind that Bush Stadium is the number one ballpark in all of baseball. You know, I was saving Christian for last because I figured he'd have a very comprehensive list and would be able to round it out eloquently. I'm <laughs> regretting that I did that because now I have to follow that up. Uh, and there's <laughs> no way I'm going to have that much detail in mind. Uh, but as you guys were listing off, we've had 13 ballparks mentioned so far. Um, oh, sorry. We'll have 13 ballparks, uh, including my list. There have been 11 mentioned so far. Uh, and every time you guys brought one up, I Googled the uh, the stadium just to take a look at it. And, uh, man, all of these are absolutely gorgeous stadiums. I don't think there is a ballpark that sucks. Even the the worst designed, the ugliest ballparks, it is still a baseball stadium. I just uh, miss being I able would, to go there. I don't know. I mean, the ta- the Oakland Coliseum and the and the uh, uh, yeah, Tropicana Oco- Field for the Tampa Bay Rays are pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, Oco and Tampa Can- uh, 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 yeah Tropicana, but uh, still, it's it's baseball, and maybe it's just I. I'm missing baseball right now. But regardless, we'll jump into mine. I wanted to do an honorable mention here first um, for Camden Yard, the Baltimore Orioles ballpark. And There's nothing particularly special about this ballpark right now. There's nothing that really sets it apart. But what does is this was kind of the first ballpark that saw the the revolution, the, the changing of how ballparks are designed. It was the first ballpark that really had kind of that, uh, you know, the – asymmetrical dimensions in the outfield uh, aside from some of the historic ones like uh, Fenway Park or Wrigley and so the the Baltimore Orioles stadium was really the first one that kind of ushered in this this new era of baseball so while itself is not exceptional right now it was the gold standard back in the 90s and really set the trend so I've I've got a list of them here uh, as an honorable mention number five on my list is Wrigley Field uh, they just have uh, so much history, so much tradition there. It's a great atmosphere. I can't add anything that you guys already have not added. Uh, I noticed that when I was building my list, I loved atmosphere and the the views that you have. Um, just the, the overall atmosphere of the ballpark kind of factored in, um, regardless of the team. So for number four, I have Target Field. Uh, it's one of the first ballparks I've ever been to, one of three that I've been to. Uh, and it's just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, you know, the, the limestone uh, exterior of it all. You get out into left field, and you have a great view of the Minneapolis skyline. Nothing like being in Minneapolis for a ball game. So that's my number four. Uh, number three is Oracle Park in San Francisco. There's just something about it being on the, the, the river, as Christian said. Uh, just something about it being right on the water uh, is absolutely gorgeous. On that note as well, number two is PNC Park. 
objectively one of the most gorgeous stadiums I've ever seen for the, the reasons that Christian mentioned. Just seeing the, the iconic skyline of Pittsburgh, uh, the yellow suspension bridge, I think, is what sells me on it. So you have the river, the bridge, the skyline. Absolutely fantastic. And I, I'm not a big fan of the Pirates as, as a Cardinals fan. Uh, so they've got a really great stadium. <laughs> and it shouldn't come as a surprise. My number one as well is Bush Stadium. How surprising that Bush Stadium is number one when you got five St. Louis fans. But there's just there's something about the design of it where the red brick uh, and the outdoor field, you have the arch in the back, it manages to capture the history of the Cardinals and, and captured their 100-plus-year history while also feeling like a modern ball, ballpark and having those modern amenities. And Christian brought up the, the memories that, that I have with my brothers and my grandpa going there. So many times I've been there. I, I believe it was Nick Ponchi who mentioned it as well. really does feel like a, a home away from home. So that obviously is why Bush Stadium is number one. And all right, we have all of the stadiums tallied up. Are you guys ready to hear the Offside Sports Top 5 MLB Stadiums? Yes. Yes, please. All right. Coming in at number five with five points is PNC Park. I th- Sorry, we have a two-way tie for third. So PNC Park is technically fourth. Tied for third with six points each is Oracle Park and Kauffman Stadium. With 11 points, you have Wrigley Field in Chicago. And unsurprisingly, the first ever unanimous number one in the history of the first three top fives in offside sports goes to Bush Stadium as the number one ballpark in Major League Baseball. Other ball- as it should be. Other ballparks receiving votes. Dodger Stadium, Fenway Park, and Miller Park all received four. Yankee Stadium and Comerica Park received three. Target Field received two. Chase Field and Great American Ballpark received one. Camden Yard received an honorable mention. And the first ever Offside Sports Top 5 dishonorable mention goes to Marlins Park. <laughs> Minus one point. <laughs> I can't believe we did two uh, firsts at complete opposite ends of goodness in the first, same top five. First unanimous number one and first uh, team to ever receive negative points. <laughs> I mean, we could always do an offside sports bottom five one of these weeks. We just have to come up with a good topic. <laughs> and if we do that, we'll be sure to let you know about it here on Offside Sports. That's all we've got for you today. For Nick Brown, Christian Brown, Nick Ponchi, and Alex Ponchi, I'm Noah Brown. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. Cowboys suck. Their stadium's fine, though. Thank you for joining us on Offside Sports on the Air. This podcast is a production of Brick by Brick Studios in association with TJ Bierenbaum Multimedia. Copyright 2020, all rights reserved. Distribution not included. Mm-hmm.